everybody, and welcome to episode 111 of the Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Curtis McHale. G'day. Eric Davis. Hi. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and uh, there's no special guest this week. Uh, we're going to be talking about building and managing your portfolio. Now, what inspired me to start this conversation is actually an email I got from somebody that uh, you might have heard of before. There's this guy, Eric Davis. Um, I signed up for his mailing list, and I get an email from him every week. So I got Portfolio Part 1 last week, and I got Portfolio Part 2 about an hour ago. I didn't realize that there was a Part 2 until I got it, but he's got a lot of great advice in there, and I thought that maybe we could talk about how do you build your portfolio. This also is really related to another question that I get frequently, and that is, I can't find a job. So I decided to go freelance, but I don't have a portfolio or, you know, I don't have anything to show my clients. I'm really curious to see what everybody thinks. I know that Curtis has done quite a bit of work and, you know, I haven't really looked at his uh, consulting site in a while, so I don't even remember if there is a portfolio on there. It just relaunched last week. So yes, it is. And it's totally different if you haven't looked at it since last week. Where do we find it? sfndesign.ca. And as of this recording, there's uh, one or two bugs that I launched with intentionally because I just didn't feel like killing the rest of them. Right, so you've got that latest work section in there. Mm-hmm. And then you can click on Our Work. Oh, that looks really good. Thank so, you. Can we talk a little bit about how you want to display your portfolio? I mean, let's let's assume that you've built some stuff, and then we'll talk about how to build your portfolio if you don't feel like you have a strong one. How do you decide to put this together? I mean, do you just stick the images up there and put a link to your work, or is there more to it than that? Uh, there's more to it than that. So I wrote this originally a while ago and didn't really launch it because I wasn't happy with it. But my original copy was pretty waffly, like, oh, I built them a site and it was cool, and that was about it. Whereas I tried to focus a lot more on here were their problems and here's what we did to solve them, right? Mm-hmm. You can't get in deep technical detail, but it's a, but it's a clear, this is the problem, this is how we solved it. That makes sense. You do the work on WordPress, so most of the stuff that you work on is stuff that's going to be out there. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot that is. There's one or two things. There's one client that's in my portfolio, and I don't really show a lot because he wants to keep it. He feels his industry is very competitive, and his competitive advantage is, is his internal process, and we built some of that. So I am allowed to show that to customers, say, through a, through a screencast or a screen share, but I don't show a lot of it in the actual portfolio site. So how do you explain to people what you did? Because, I mean, most of the time when I'm working on stuff, I either built the entire thing or, you know, maybe I contributed to parts of it, but I didn't do the entire thing. And you start with the problems you're solved, right? Mm-hmm. So on one of my clients, I'm trying to think, yeah, they're on here. Uh, Wakefield Scarce Galleries, they're an antique store that I worked for a little while ago now. We do some updates. But their problem was the site was just plain broken. The guy who built it before had, guy or girl, I don't even remember now who, had no idea about one or two foundational concepts in WordPress, like how to work with the templates. And so it was all broken. There's 300, 301 redirects. And so when I talk about that one, we talk about solving that issue and then cleaning up a ton of the code. There was huge portions that they had to hand code if they wanted to update it. And we moved all of that into updating itself for them or easily updatable through the WordPress admin. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm a little curious what Eric's take is on some of this stuff because I'm assuming you've built plugins for Redmine that didn't necessarily have a, an interface you could show off. So do you just explain what it does or do you... To a point, I mean, I do my portfolio a bit differently because you know, most of my stuff's back-end, most of my stuff it might not have a UI or 
you know, it might not be something that I actually coded on the UI. I dig more into like the problem the customer has and then like what I did, how I solved it. And so even if there's nothing I can show or like Curtis was saying, it's like a business process. I could say like, you know, we set up a business process that, you know, took, I don't know, whatever, like increase the leads from 10 to 50 a week or something, you know? And the big thing for me is trying to show the result. So it's not necessarily like, you know, the what I built, but it's the what that thing actually achieved. Um, and so, you know, even if you do backend stuff or stuff that's not really visually nice to look at, if it's just, you know, code that runs on a server, you can still talk about like the results you did. And that's actually the really big thing a lot of clients are looking for. That makes sense. I really do like the visual aspect, though, if I can get it. But I, I definitely see that. Yeah, like there's one of my first projects I wrote. It was a command line script in .NET that basically uh, you gave it different parameters and it just generated kind of boilerplate code because it was, you know, a huge system. So it would generate like 15 different classes or something for their application that it needed. And it was, it was mostly the glue code, but it saved them from having to type it out and making, you know, stupid little mistakes. And for that, I mean, it's, it's a script you run and it just creates files. So all I did was I actually ran the script with the, like, you know, the dash dash help or something to kind of print out how you use it. And I just took a screenshot of that. And then I explained how, you know, this script was saving, you know, programmers hours of time each time they had to add to their system and how it would, you know, prevent bugs from typos and that sort of thing. So even though that was just a, an automation script, I still made a visual component just by taking a screenshot of it. I like it. Now, one other thing I want to ask about, and this is something that I'm seeing on Eric's portfolio, is he's listed a lot of open source software. Yeah, I haven't done that, although I certainly could. Like, I've worked in most major WordPress e-commerce platforms that are around, so I certainly could add that. Yeah, and I mean, I've done, I've been doing a lot of kind of curation on mine because in a past life I had over 100 open source Redmine plugins. And, you know, the number 100 and the fact that I knew what I was doing was good, but the individual plugins weren't, they weren't really that important to each new prospective client. And so, I've actually kind of curated it and, you know, picked either the, the biggest plugins that have like the biggest impact or the most complexity. And then the rest of them, I kind of lumped into like, you know, I also do work on Redmine plugins such as XYZ. You know, and I, I found that's a bit better because you can really overwhelm a client if you just throw everything you've ever done at them. Yeah, something I'm looking at doing is I've built a few plugins that I use consistently on my client sites when we're doing uh, development and staging, or sorry, live and staging environments. So, that automatically shuts down all the WordPress emails and logs them all instead of sending them for development so you don't accidentally send 20,000 emails. I'm thinking about highlighting a bunch of those kind of in our work as well because it's things that I would do or use in their sites to you know make the process easier for them. Yeah, one other thing that I'm curious about with portfolios that comes up frequently with me is that I've done some work for people that uh, had me sign an NDA and it wasn't it wasn't one of those horrible ones that make it so that you you know you can't work in this town ever again but you know a lot of times they you know you can't disclose that you did work on their project or for them cuz some some of the work that i've done is is good work and i want to show people that i did it is there a way to really deal with that or you just tell people no when they want you to sign an nda if you want to put the work up on your portfolio and my contract has a provision that says i can take kind of non you know, extremely confidential information and show it on my portfolio and that sort of thing. Um, I've had clients that strike it out and because of their situation, it's valid concern. What I've done and what I actually have another project I'm trying to get added to my portfolio is to almost every project has like a code name. 
So I'll use the code name and I'll talk in general terms about the project, what it did, you know, like who it was for. I wouldn't use necessarily screenshots or maybe I do like screenshots of the code or something, but you kind of anonymize it enough and then you can send it to the client be like, hey, I want to do this. I want to put this on my portfolio. It's important. It kind of helps me, you know, talk up like how it's a big thing for your business and, you know, get the green light from them. And if they release it and say, like, yeah, you can, that's fine for us, then that can work around the NDA and there shouldn't be any legal problems with it. Yeah, with my one client, I just sent him the copy on the site before it was officially live and he approved and said, yep, that's fine with me. He just was concerned about his business process. Not necessarily that I show that I worked with him. He understands that I want to show that. So I've only ever once or twice signed one that's like, you can never show this. Right. So you just talk to him and, you know, maybe change the header to say my corp or something. And you just kind of describe what you did without actually giving away the details that they care about. It really depends. I find a lot of the NDA projects are really not all that interesting. And so there's like, eh, it's just a site, whatever. It goes in or it doesn't. It's not that big a deal. Yeah. It's not like they have some foundational new thing that no one ever thought of before. Ten people thought of it and we're just signing the NDA because they want it signed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, or you generalize it. Like one of them that I'm talking with a client about, I mean, it, I basically helped build a social network and I built a lot of the marketing and messaging aspects, which included email delivery. Well, none of that's really NDAable. I mean, that's right. kind of, you know, that's basic stuff. So that I can put in my portfolio. Um, it just depends on, you know, if I get into processes or results and, you know, especially screenshots and stuff like that, where you got to, you know, either mock up some dummy data, use a different color scheme or something like that. But, you know, sometimes you might just be able to use the actual site and send it to them. They're like, yeah, like, we'll just let you put this a little bit in your portfolio. We don't care about the NDA. Right. You know, it's, it's all about communication. So one other thing that I'm curious about, I am not a design guy. I mean, so when I have a good looking site that I've worked on, the look and feel isn't my work. You know, it's the underlying code that actually makes cool things happen when you click type or whatever on it. So I don't feel bad putting the screenshot up, but I almost feel like I need to disclaim, hey, I didn't do the design on this. You know, I just made it work. Yeah, you did the workflow, right? So like a screencast would be a good way to show like you did this workflow. This is why it works well, because you built the underlying code. So Yeah, I mean, disclose it. I mean, it's like, you know, maybe you put it in a way where you, you know, you worked with the design created from a, another designer or you mm-hmm. implemented their design and code. And that way, it's not just you took someone's work, but you took it and you it shows that you play well with others and all that. And then the final result is a working website. And yeah, screencast would be a great way because then, you know, they could see the actual functionality with the design. Yeah, that makes sense. So are there other things that you should be putting in your portfolio? Things that people don't usually think about that would, you know, go in there and look nice in your list? Um, I've had a lot of open source stuff in mind and because that was a big part of my business. And it even I even have an actual portfolio item called open source, which is like the catch-all. And so like if I have a few patches to like say Rails or whatever, I'll include Rails in there. And so that way people can see like I've done work on big open source projects and little ones, but I'm not actually like running it or I'm not a major player in it. But it's kind of a, it's a way to translate like, you know, the GitHub commit history into like, okay, here's the business speak. Here's what I did. Here's how it helped the Rails project, that sort of thing. Yeah, I've linked to my open source report card as well, which like just parses GitHub data to see your contributions, right? Yeah, I guess that makes sense too. Now, one thing I did notice on, you know, just clicking through you guys, uh, your portfolios, it did seem like with Curtis's, when you click on his and you go into, uh, you know, a particular project, like there's a page for it. 
And with Eric's, it's more of a list. You know, here are some of the open source stuff. And so it's the headers aren't links. It's just, hey, we, you know, I patched Ruby on Rails. I worked on Redmine. Do you find that one approach works better than the other? I'm kind of wondering what the I've never are. tried both, right? I've never tried like A B testing on both, so I don't know. I would well, like to think that even as even as developers, people are drawn to pretty things, right? So they'll see something, oh that site looks nice and he worked on that. I was gonna say for me the open source one's an oddball. Like like I said, it's where it's a list, it's just little snippets versus an actual project where I have different sections and screenshots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can certainly see say adding a single open source project and whole bunch of stuff that I've done for open source in there. But I'd still probably find a pretty screenshot for it. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to get into how to build a portfolio a little bit. This is something I'm a little more familiar with. I never actually did put a portfolio section on on my consulting website when I had one working, and it didn't really seem to matter. But my portfolio tended to be more along the lines of teach me to code, which are, you know, tutorial screencasts and Ruby Rogues and JavaScript Jabber and iFreaks and this show, you know, where it shows that I know what I'm talking about, but it doesn't give them specific examples of where I've done something that looks like what they want. So how do I go about, I I, mean, I have things that I could put in my portfolio, but let's say that I'm brand new and I don't have a platform and I don't have a list of projects that I've built. What kinds of things do you do to build that portfolio? So this is actually that second email you got on my newsletter. It's basically, I'm, I've done this myself recently. It's if you don't have any projects or getting started or like in my case where I'm transitioning out of Redmine into other areas, you kind of want to look and figure out like you have an ideal client that comes to your site. What do they want? What are they looking for? In my case, you know, they're going to probably want me to develop in Ruby on Rails. So I have stuff in my portfolio about that. If you're new, that might be contributing to Rails or contributing to Rails gems or something like that. Another thing might be like, what kind of problems do you solve or what industries you work in? And in my case, like I'm trying to get into a lot of building marketing software. And so what I actually did uh, a couple of weeks ago, I guess, I sat down and I've been doing a lot of A-B tests and I've been getting deep into that. And I'm like, well, this program I'm using to kind of run the A-B test is kind of buggy and I don't really like the way it works. So I spent two, three days, built my own version of an A-B testing calculator put it on my site, made it free, whatever. But I was able to write that up in my portfolio. And I talked about how it's an internal app, but I used it because I had a problem and I think other people have a problem and kind of wrote it in such a way. So if a client comes to my site, they're like, oh, look, Eric knows Rails. And oh, look, he's done stuff with baby testing and he's done stuff with conversion optimization. So he might be a good person to talk to about this project. And so you can use open source or you can use kind of internal apps for yourself or you can make like dummy apps where it's like you might mock up a logo for an airline all of those are kind of ways where you can build a portfolio and as long as you kind of disclose like this is a project for myself or this isn't for an actual client that's going to be fine most clients just care that you can do the work that they need and that you can you know you're you're getting results for them Mm -hmm. yeah i do like the approach of you know this is stuff i did for me this is stuff i did for a client um, I also like the approach of, you know, listing the open source stuff that you've contributed to or written. And there, there are a lot of different ways that you can actually build that up. Are any of those was, your favorite? Well, and I was going to say one more thing is I had this problem at the beginning. I put everything I did into my portfolio. And like I said earlier, that that's overwhelming. So when you're getting started, if you can get four, maybe five solid portfolio items, and that, I mean, solid in that, you know, they're complete. They talk about the problem, not as in, you know, it's a six month project. If you can get four or five of those, that's really all you need. And it could be just a string of open source 
contributions to a project. It doesn't have to be, you know, you took over the project or you rewrote it in a different language or whatever. It could just be that, you know, you fixed a, a couple dozen bugs in a one little area. Curtis, do you have any thoughts on this, on how to build your portfolio? I did a lot of it at the beginning with screencasts. So I have wpthemetutorial.com, which is all about WordPress screencasts. I'm looking to move into, I guess, a little more, I guess, conversion consulting as well uh, with the e-commerce work that I do. So I'm going to be recording some screencasts coming up on presentations that I've done around, you know, our sliders effective and effective e-commerce design. So I can move towards that as well. And I'll put those up on my site. Now, that's another thing. I mean, presentations and screencasts, stuff like that, they're, they're not typical portfolio items, but they are showing that you're an expert, you know what you're doing. And those can all kind of build the client's trust in you. Yeah. Well, I had to say the client I talked to earlier, uh, Wakefield Scarce Galleries, they came to me because of a screencast, because I solved one of the problems they had in the screencast. And I said, we've got a whole bunch more. Let's get them fixed. And it was really like a really easy client to land because they already trusted that I could solve one problem. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've actually had people contact me because I gave a talk at a conference. And oddly enough, they contacted me about something that really didn't have anything to do with what I talked about. Yeah, In that case, they feel like they know you, right? Especially if they've seen you in person. Yeah. Um, I even find that with the screencast, people feel more like they know you when they've heard you talk. And, you know, your your idiosyncrasies come through even if you try to push for really it's high production level. You still get the little things that you normally say in your sentences. I get that a lot with the podcast too. I feel like I know you already. So you can put conference talks, you can put screencasts, uh, you can put your own software in there. Is there any particular order that you should put them in? Alphabetical by the third letter. <laughs> <laughs> I actually organized mine by the ones I wanted to show off first. So in my site right now, it's the top items are the ones I wanted to show off the most. Mm-hmm. After the first two or three, I just they just kind of go however they were entered. But the first two or three are the ones that I really wanted to show off. Primary. And same here. I mean, it's you have to you know assume your your prospective clients come into your site. They have you know the thirty seconds of attention or whatever, and so you want to show the strongest things first, and you know in a way kind of hook them and get them to read more and learn more about you. And for my case, it's I, I actually have a bunch of stuff in my portfolio, but I've actually selected like the top four kind of projects that I kind of highlight. And those are the ones that I try to push them to. But then I have the others in there if they want to really dig in and kind of see a more history. And so it's, you know, it's based on which, what kind of clients you want to attract, what they are looking for, and, you know, maybe even highlight like a really complex or technical project to show like you can do big things. You know, it just depends on what your, what your branding and marketing wants to be. Now, do you try and drive people to another let's say, like, uh, contact me or something page from your portfolio, or do you just put it out there so that they can see what you can do? And then they'll click the contact link or whatever if they, you know, in the header or whatever. I think it's pretty crucial on your contact page to have your phone number as well. So that's something I've always included. I'm looking at CR, kind of doing more of a CRM and tracking my leads and kind of seeing when they're warm and stuff, but I'm not sure about mainly cost on those things. I'm looking at Hatch, Hatchback, I think it's called. Uh, I can get the link in the show notes. That's one that I'm looking at that would track all the leads on my site, track their interaction with my content, and then even emails as well. Well, I mean, basically it's standard, you know, conversion stuff. You always want some kind of action for someone to take on a page. Like you don't want them to read about your portfolio item, get excited about working with you, and then question what to do next and make them feel dumb for not knowing and then leave your site. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a contact form is good. Um, Even a little line like, make it custom for each portfolio item because you don't really have that many is like, Hey, if you want something similar to this, you know, link contact me and we can talk. 
or in my case, I have people sign up for my client services newsletter where it's, I don't remember, six or seven different emails that kind of introduces me. But I mean, any, anything, whatever you want, you kind of your main action on your website, like put that on your portfolio or your portfolio items. Like that, that's why you have a website is to kind of get people to do that. Yeah. Right on my process page, I have a contact form, you know, as they read through it, there's a contact form right in there. So they don't have to go anywhere else as well. But I should add more directive stuff to the portfolio items too. That's pretty interesting. So do you guys ever refer people to your portfolio page or is it something that people find when they come to your page? It depends on how they interact with me, right? So I'll highlight, say a new client comes through you just through email, I'll highlight one or two projects that are most pertinent to them. And then I say, you can see more and here's my portfolio if they want to look at some more stuff we've done. Mm -hmm. How about you, Eric? I mean, basically, like a lot of people come to my homepage, like most sites, and then, you know, some end up going to portfolio. Some of them, like my homepage is set up to talk about my services, what I do for clients. So like a lot of people just hit the homepage and then jump into the list. Like they don't actually go and browse around. Um, I think I send people to the portfolio page as part of my getting to know me sequence. And that's more of like, you know, here's some of the work I've done for more details. Here's the portfolio stuff. But the sending people to my portfolio isn't really a, a goal I have. It's more there just as trust building. It's like if someone has an objection, they can go there and kind of say, oh, okay, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Are there any other aspects of portfolios that we should talk about? I think using like directive language, not passive, which I talked a bit about at the beginning. I know when I first put my portfolio and had a friend read it and they were like, this is terrible. And they talked to me through a bunch of the stuff and I was like, you're right, it is totally terrible. It was not, it was all about, I did this kind of cool thing, maybe. You should come get me to do something maybe cool for you too. Mm-hmm. It's really a sales page, like you're you're selling yourself. And so being directive and confident about it and writing well about it is an important part to proving that you actually know what you're talking about. Yeah, there's two other things. One, if you can, if you can get your client to give you a testimonial, which you should try to do anyways, if you can put that on the portfolio page for their project, that's a huge trust builder. And the second thing, I mean, we've been talking about portfolios as in the context of these are the projects I work on. I actually have kind of, or I had and it's changed, but I have like a client service or a client portfolio of like, here's the clients I worked with. And that's kind of what you see in a lot of sites where it's just a logo dump of like the big companies they worked with. That's another good way of building trust. And it shows like, okay, if Acme Company trusted Eric, uh, I can trust them. And, you know, it's that whole quote, you never get fired for buying IBM or whatever. But having both a project type portfolio and then a portfolio of your clients is another good thing. That's interesting. Do you put them both under the same like portfolio header and then they can click on projects or companies or? No, I, I organize it a bit different. I have portfolio and then I have kind of a big top level navigation called client services, which is details about my services. And it has a list of all my clients or current and past clients on there. And that's where their logos are. So it's you know, the portfolio is kind of the project side and the client services is the services I provide plus that added kind of trust stuff of the client logos. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I have worked with a few largest companies and it's nice to be able to say, hey, I did work for them. Well, I know this is run a little bit shorter than our episodes normally do, but unless there's more to talk about here, um, we should probably just do the picks. There's one other thing, which I've, I had a problem with this too. When you get busy, you know, most people forget to market and all that. But another thing is, as you finish projects, start building a portfolio item form. I got to a point where I had like about a year, maybe even two years worth of projects done that I didn't have up on my site as portfolio. So it looked like, you know, I did a bunch of work and then I stopped working, but I was actually just so busy. I wasn't keeping up to date. What might be good is to 
once a quarter, every six months, or if you have a, a good process for closing out a project, you know, make it a point to create a portfolio item about it. Even if you don't highlight it, even if it's not like one of the featured ones, creating the content and all that while it's fresh and getting screenshots, it's a lot easier than coming back six months later and trying to get the app to run or whatever. So that's, that's a good thing. And it'll make sure that you always have stuff you can cycle in and out. Yeah, I always at least take screenshots. Like as soon as we're done, I use paparazzi, which is just plug in the URL and it gives you screenshots. So it is very nice to use. Very nice. Yeah. I have a Chrome plugin I can share that, uh, let's take screenshots of pages. I use that for like big sales pages that are like 40 pages long or whatever. And it makes it one long image. Oh, cool. I need that. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do the picks. Curtis, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. I'm going to pick uh, Red Booth today. So I've talked about how Trello was awesome before, but for the last probably four months now, I've actually switched over to Red Booth as my full project management suite. So it does everything for me, manages all my project and all my personal to-dos. It actually manages the grocery list my wife and I share as well. Um, and I've also dropped OmniFocus as well. I used to use them both, uh, Trello and OmniFocus in combination. Now I've got everything online. I can have my admin assistant deal with stuff and my wife and I can share lists and it's all in one spot. Very nice. Uh, I do have a question about that. It sounds like it's kind of a team-level organization tool. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing that drives me a little bit crazy with OmniFocus, and you can kind of do it, but can you suck in email stuff? So, like, if I just forward an email to it or something, can can just stick it in there? Oh, yeah. Yep, I've automated that. It automates through Zapier as well. And so I have uh, all my receipts for my admin assistant. When they hit the receipt notebook in Evernote, they get sent over to the proper list from Zapier as well. And you can email it to it. You have a private project as well. So that's where I kind of keep all my personal stuff. And Eric was mentioning in the chat that it's used to be called Teambox. They rebranded a few months ago. Very nice. I'll have to check it out. I'll have to actually blog about Full Switch and how I'm automating parts of it as well. Cool. Eric, what are your picks? All right, so I've got three today. First one, um, I got back from MicroConf uh, last week, and there's tons of information about it. But uh, one thing that kind of came up was kind of doing, you know, whether you have a product business, a service business, whatever, trying to do something small every day to kind of improve it. And I just happened to have this in my Insta reader, and I read it on the plane back, but it's called Small Chunks. Um, it's basically along the lines of a lot of the best entrepreneurs and people like founders and stuff, they aren't doing like these big change the world type projects. They're doing these small little things over and over, but they're so efficient at it that you don't eat. Like they get through a hundred of them each day. Um, so it's a nice little quote. Um, I think there's a longer blog post about it, but I'll put the link in the show notes so you can follow and read it. It's pretty quick reading. The second thing is that screenshot program I talked about. Uh, it looks like it's available for Chrome, Firefox, and Safari. It's called Awesome Screenshot. It lets you take either a screenshot of the page you see, like the visible part that's in your browser, um, a selected area, like if you just want a little box around something, or I always use the entire page. And I'll actually use that to take an archive copy of my websites before I do like a major change or a major A-B test. It's free. It works pretty good. You can save it online to share, or you can actually save it to like a PNG on your local system. And then the third, for a bit of fun, uh, is a YouTube video called The Expert. It's a short comedy sketch for anyone who does consulting, freelancing, or works with clients at all. Uh, you probably won't get more than a minute into this before you start busting up laughing. So I'll put that in the show notes. It's it's definitely a good thing to, to wrap up the day with. Very nice. All right. I'm going to make a couple of picks. I think I've picked this on the show before, but uh, I've been using Audible and I been listening to Platform by Michael Hyatt, and it's been a really terrific resource for uh, marketing. So I'm going to pick that. And 
I don't know if I have any other picks, so I'm just going to stop there. But uh, it was a good discussion. I'm definitely going to need to look into uh, what it's going to take to get a portfolio listing for my up-and-coming website. But yeah, hopefully this helps some folks out. And if you have some other ideas for your portfolios that you've used that have worked, uh, we'd definitely be interested in hearing those. And you can actually uh, put those into the Freelancer Show forum. You can go to freelancershow.com slash forum and sign up. And uh, we'd love to see what other ideas you guys have. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum. 